you are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of Scout, IBI, uh, 24-7, many a blog, many a place. Used to write about prospects in the draft, still write about prospects in the draft over at uh, mlbdraftnow.blogspot.com. Eventually, I will have my Indian shadow draft up there. Time's been hard to, to figure out uh, with the change to the schedule of the draft and everything else. So I'll have one final bit of draft content at uh, some point in time. So as I'm recording this one, the Indians game is ongoing. Uh, I might save that for the third segment and we'll see if the game is over. I might also take a break, go work out, and come back and record a third segment. Uh, right now the Indians are losing 4-3 to three in this one. Just to talk about this off the top, we'll talk about another day, a big uh, promotions and movement in the minors we'll dig into, maybe some uh, performances that stood out as well from Sunday. Uh, right now the Indians are losing this one. The Rangers had a, a single, a double, and then a home run off Eli Morgan in the first. And we talked about how Eli Morgan is Josh Tomlin-esque. Uh, that's what you're going to get. He's going to give up home runs in every game. You're just hoping he can limit the base runners. Uh, Taylor Hearn on the other side of things. Uh, the Indians got it for three runs, but uh, the Indians... Uh, on their side of things, you know, uh, Morgan, that's his second straight uh, struggle as a start. He went four and a third, eight hits, four earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts, a home run. It's a lot of base runners. That's 10 base runners for him. That's a high amount for Morgan to be successful. Uh, the fourth run, he had a runner on third. They switched uh, to Garza. Garza got a ground out from DJ Peters, but that got the run across. So while a run did score, that is charged to Morgan Garza. It went one and two-thirds. One hit, one strikeout. I believe, yes, Wickren is still pitching right now, and I, I don't like this. So I feel like you're playing with fire when you're asking Wickren to do more than an inning. Uh, again, I know there are people out there who don't like the negativity from me or don't like me questioning things. Wickren is not a multi-inning reliever. He just doesn't have the stuff for that, in my opinion. Uh, right now, it's... He's getting close to getting one and two-thirds innings uh, right now with the eighth, with one out and a runner on first. Uh, the Indians, you know, we go through and there's things we talk about, and I'll see if the, you know, we'll more dig into, like, who reached base twice, who were the stars and everything else. Morgan, it's just, it's going to happen. He's going to have those games. He's going to have those days. It's unavoidable. He's going to give up home runs. He's going to get hit hard. Uh, the Two walks and, you know, four and a third is not bad. Uh, you almost expect him to always be under two, but that's solid. It's He's going to have those days. It's That is just the way that works. I know this is not a good Texas team, so we don't expect to see that. And then also the humor of me talking about how ice cold, if you listen to Monday's show, Nathan Lowe is, who then proceeds to homer and have that big three-run shot, which is, the, you know, essentially the separator in this game. Uh it's just a situation where, it, like I said, it, Morgan's profile is always going to be more limited. And unfortunately, in this case, uh, they were able to get to him and get to him early. And then he was, he wasn't necessarily always clean, but he got through the second, third, and fourth, and then gave up that run in the fifth. Uh, only 73 pitches before they went to the pen. 
Uh, overall, yeah, Garza got a ground out that scored a run. That's not on him even by the slightest measure. It's nice to see him having a pair of solid outings after he ran into a bit of a snag. But like I said, we'll talk more about this game uh, in third segment because uh, who knows, maybe it'll be over by then. But before then, let's let's talk some more prospects and prospect movement. Uh, so Jake Fox and Connor uh, Cox from KOKX from this past draft class, the two hitters in this draft class, draft class were both uh, placed in Arizona. So they now count towards the domestic limit, which is 180. I thought they were near their max or at max, honestly, but uh, if they're adding those two, unless I miss some cuts, which I have not seen yet, then you know there should be accompanying cuts because I thought they're right. At, I thought they were already at their max, but apparently they must not be. Uh, was it? We talked about you know Alaska Abney got pushed up to Lynchburg already, who was drafted this past year. There's about four or five players already in the minors from this draft class, but there's still a lot who have not been assigned anywhere. They're still kind of waiting. Uh, it's not a surprise that someone like Gavin Williams and some of those college pitching, and we know they went heavy on college pitching, where those guys pitched a lot of innings, and often they don't pitch much uh, to begin with in the year they're drafted. So if those guys just went to Arizona and they worked on some mechanic stuff and some pitching development and weren't actually on a roster, I, I don't know exactly when you have to put them on a roster, but it seems like the Indians are finding a way to work around the 180 uh, prospect limit. They're not, and like I said, the official wording here is starting game progression in Arizona and now count towards the domestic limit. So if those other draft picks don't start game progression, then they don't count against that 180. So that's how the Indians are uh, doing this. This is how they're running an end around, essentially around what is supposed to be a prospect limit. Uh, Clearly an organization that did not like that uh, rule. They made that big Arizona complex to have multiple teams down there and everything else, and I do not think that they were in uh, fans of or in favor of the limiting. So they're trying to find ways to work it. Let's talk about the other moves. There was many a move today. Uh, Bobby Bradley and Harold Ramirez are down in Lake County doing rehab assignments. Aaron Bracho was activated from the uh, the injured list. It's not the disabled list in the minors. It's the injured list. And catcher movement, Eric Rodriguez, to be a backup, was moved from Akron to Columbus. The big set of moves is George Valera officially with the move up to double-A. Victor Nova, if that name is familiar, he was the other part in the uh, Bauer deal. He was the guy down in low-A. He is now going from Lake County to Akron. Uh, with him moving up, that opens a spot. So Christian Cairo is going from Lynchburg to Lake County. I believe he was the third-round pick. And with Valera moving up, you know, that chain of command, as it were, that chain of movement, Jonathan Rodriguez, who I know was a third-round pick, one of the youngest players in his class, uh, another Rule 5 guy, though he is very unlikely to be added, gets the promotion. And, you know, again, we're following just a very basic chain of movement. If those guys are vacating Lynchburg, who gets called up? Jorge Borjos, who has uh, performed really well in limited duty in Arizona, is moving to Lynchburg. I think he's like leading the minors in batting average when I looked recently. I'll double-check that. Uh, yeah, you're hearing my cat, who we are playing a fun game of he puts his paws on my lap, and I put him in my lap, and then he hops down, and we do it all over again. So if you keep hearing cat crying, that's why. 
but uh, we just talked about Burhos. So instead, uh, the infielder with this chain of movement is Milan Tolentino, whose dad is, you know, has ties to the Angels, and whose brother was a former Indians prospect as well. Uh, gets the move from Arizona to Lynchburg. He was in the 2020 draft class. He's a guy who's taken advantage of the fact that Carson Tucker just hasn't played this year. The first round pick you'd think would be more of the fast track, but he's had injury issues and hasn't been able to uh, to get those opportunities. So they're just moving guys up. And then that's what you sit back and they move it up an infielder and an outfielder. That's why they activate Jake Fox and Connor Cox. So it's they are just 100% chaining. And every, what's interesting is legitimately every one of those guys is a prospect. Maybe not as much on Burroughs, but everyone else is a guy who at some point in time has gotten top 30 consideration on a prospect list uh, or as a recent draft pick. So they don't have a lot of, you know, it's there's not a lot of extra uh, extra players in the system, but yet big across the board uh, movements in uh, promotions, as it were, uh, for players. They're just everyone got a bump in the outfield and now we're seeing like i said more players get activated i think my big takeaway from this though is honestly the end around they're doing on the limit (laughs) i mean the specific wording starting game progression in arizona and now count towards the domestic limit i'm not gonna sit here and count and see how close they are to 180 players i was trusting someone else who told me they're at the limit Uh, i'll dig a little deeper but i just love that they're very intentionally stating yeah, we're going to have these guys play now. Uh, Cox was a college player, Fox a prep player, so it kind of matters a little bit more for Fox. Uh, Cox should excel. He put up some really good numbers this past year in a lower college conference. He's going to be a, an older college-age guy facing a lot of young talent. He should, uh, if he puts up uh, mind-blowing numbers over the next month, don't be shocked. That's what he should do. But yeah, that's uh, that's the movement. There's not as much with the big leagues. So let's talking about the minor leagues. We'll come back, uh, talk about a few other things. But first, a quick sponsor break. So join me every Saturday night in the Spotify green room. It, it's going to keep going as long as the season is going. After that, uh, we'll see. Kind of depends on demand. But it's a fun place to sit down and chat to discuss what's going on. You might have seen the Ringer. I know is using it more. Uh, I, I know that because I got a little notification. It's on Android and iOS. You can jump in, chat both through text and verbally with me and several other Locked On MLB hosts. Go check out Green Room for yourself. Remember, I am there on Saturdays. It is a fun time. It's a chance to talk about anything baseball related. I've had so many good conversations about a lot of different topics relating to the Indians and baseball in general. If you want to talk baseball, it just gives you that opportunity to sit down and chat with in some cases, if you consider me an expert, an expert, or, you know, like I said, there's all the locked on MLB hosts. The ringer is now getting involved. There's a reason why so many people are using this app. It's solid. It's good. It's great. Join me Saturday nights. So we're at the part of the season where things get a little, uh, you know, there's not as much news as it were. We're kind of sitting around waiting for things to happen more than things are happening. So it seemed like a good time to talk history. Let's dive into the past. When I was looking at information from Tuesday, historically, the 24th, the day before you're listening, there were two interesting tidbits here. Uh, In terms of the 25th, there's some interesting ones there as well. Uh, Mostly that 
nothing huge. Uh, but the 24th, there's some, this is where the, the real interesting historical data is. One, uh, Ray Caldwell is knocked unconscious after being struck by lightning in 1919 with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, he was a spitballer, and he was unconscious for five minutes, refused to leave the game, and uh, eventually got the final out he needed for a 2-1 victory. I should have known that story. I'm sure I've heard that story somewhere and forgot it, but yeah, that's right. An Indians pitcher was struck by lightning, passed out for five minutes, and they said, go ahead and finish it. Think how much things have changed in a hundred years. Uh, can you imagine what would happen now if a player was struck by lightning? I don't think anyone would be allowed to finish a baseball game. And then the main part of this segment is the second thing here, which was in 1945, uh, after being away from baseball for three and a half years, Bob Feller signs a contract for $40,000 to return to the Indians. So let's talk some Bob Feller. Debuted at age 17, and I mean, even at that point, he was a pretty solid pitcher. Does not make an all-star game. Uh, only had 14 games that year. The next year, he's up to 26. At age 19, he gets into 39 starts. He's an all-star. Uh, and right off the bat, you know, he is striking out guys at a much higher rate. And this is where you have to look at eras. The the strikeout king, Bob Feller, each of these years, he led the league in strikeouts per nine. And his highs were 7.8, 7.5, 7.3, and 5.9. So that's right, with a 5.9, that was the highest strikeout per nine in baseball in 1948. Uh, it just shows how eras and things are different. I mean, the, the strikeout numbers you might post nowadays uh, would be something to think about. Now, the other side of that is his walk rates were pretty high, especially in the early going, 6.4, 6.7, 4.3, 3.3, 5.1. it kind of chilled into more of the three range. But what's really interesting with Feller is all-star at age 19, 20, 21, 22, and those years, I mean, he is, you know, one of the best players in baseball, MVP, third, two, and three, military service. So he gives up age 23, 24, 25, and most of his age 26 year only gets nine starts that year. So he ends uh, his career. Let's see, and he was essentially, he starts to kind of peter out around age 32. That's the end of him. Even a little bit before that, if we're being honest, he stopped. He has one more all-star appearance in 50. Is not an all-star in 49. Uh, in 51, at age 32, uh, he does get a top five MVP. And then after that, it's he's solid, but he's more of a uh, 1952 at age 33 is not a great year for him. And then the last at age 34, 35, 36, he's a solid starter, but he's not spectacular. This is not to degrade him. This is actually to raise him up because I was looking at his total. So he finished his career with 266 wins. So, well, I'll get into that in a second. If you're curious, I went and I did the inflation calculator. Uh, $40,000 in 1945. This is another example of how baseball has changed. Significant amount of money, but in inflation calculator, that's about $584,000. You can round it up to $585,000 if you want. Uh, so think about how much it would cost to sign someone nowadays. Again, it kind of reflects the eras where here he is getting 500 and being a big amount of money. I mean, $500,000 is a big amount of money. Don't get me wrong. It's like, uh, a, I'd have to work like 12 years, 13 years on, uh, not counting taxes to get there as a teacher. So good for him with that equivalency then. But to get back to this, 
he essentially gave up four seasons. Uh, the When he came back, he got five wins in 1945. He ended with 266 wins, which puts him... Oh, I lost my spot here. Uh, yeah, 266, that's because I scrolled up is why I lost my spot. Puts him tied for 37th all-time with Epa Rixie. Now, here's the question. What happens if he doesn't go to war? Now, a lot of players you could make a similar question for. I am sure you could go through and do this, but I did the quick math. Uh, in the years, if I take his age, 20, 21, 22, 27, 28, and 29 years, essentially his 20s, and I average all those years together, he averaged 23 and a half wins. So you go back, you multiply that times four, so about 94 more wins. If you add 94 to his total, that's 360 wins. But remember, he did have five wins that year, so you have to subtract out that five because I was was not counting that year in my totals. So that gets him 355 wins. So if he doesn't go to war, 355 wins puts him in a tie with Greg Maddox for eighth all-time. But let's say he had more. Let's say that uh, he managed to get 11 more wins. Let's say instead of 23 and a half wins, uh, let, let's... Um, give him 12 wins let's say he gets three more wins instead of 23 and a half he's up to like 26s and 25s that would be at the high end but he was 27 25 and 26 in the years specifically surrounding that military service so let's give him 12 more wins let's take him up now to uh 367 where does that get him into ranks all time 367 put him into fifth put him behind cy young Walter Johnson, Pete Alexander, and Christy Matheson. He would pass Pud Galvin, Warren Spann, and Kid Nichols. So just to give an idea, again, Bob Beller, we talk about him, and I don't know how much he gets mentioned like amongst the all-time greats. Like how often nationally does he get mentioned as like one of the five best pitchers of all time? Well, he doesn't go to war. He might be top five all-time in wins. I it's one of those situations you go and you look at and you're like, I think that adds a degree of level to him. It adds some more context to a player. And yeah, pitcher wins are not great. <laughs> Let's be honest there. I, I kind of hate them uh, as an evaluation stat season by season. But over the course of a career, there is some value in it. It's one of the stats that matters the longer you play. Uh, again, you have to be on good teams, or it doesn't matter. You know, those teams were good in the, the 40s for the Indians. If he had played in a different era at the Indians, he'd be struggling to get there. But in that era, uh, yeah, he could be, instead of being down in the teens, which makes him, because it's one of those things people look at when they think, okay, who are the top five, or not in the teens, in the th- late 30s, with like Jim Palmer, Jamie Moyers ahead of him, Mike Mucina's ahead of him, uh, Jack Morris is right below him, CeCe Sabathia is a little bit below him. So when you all of a sudden change the narrative to this being a guy with 300 plus wins, which is a limited club, there's only 24 of those guys and there might never be another one. And then you're talking about moving him into the top five all time with everyone ahead of him being people who played in a different era where, you know, uh, Bob Feller, I just want to double check my, my math. Uh, Bob Feller, most of those years is starting like high thirties, low forties for games in a season, Cy Young is starting some seasons in the 50s, and he's also uh, playing well into his 40s. It's it's a different game. Walter Spahn is having in the 50s. He's getting more starts 
And again, you can play longer. And all of these guys played in the teens and 20s that are the players I'm talking about ahead of him. Yeah, every single one of these guys, the the latest start, you have 1890 for Saw Young, 1907 for Walter Johnson, 1911 for Pete Alexander, and Christy Matheson is 1900. So it puts Bob Feller essentially in a situation where he is uh, stands out alone. He he doesn't he towers over the other people in that list in terms of wins. And that's just something interesting when there isn't as much data to dig into to pull that out and compare him. Uh, if you're wondering about those other names outside of Maddox, it also says a lot about Greg Maddox that he's eight. Uh, Pud Gavin started in 1875, so that's the guy who's currently fifth. Warren Spawn started in 42, so Feller and Spawn would be in that same era. Uh, but Spawn gets talked about more than Feller nationally. Kid Nichols is 1890. So, yeah, Spawn right now kind of stands alone in this grouping uh, in that kind of top five to six range. And then you got Maddox and Clemens. And then Tim Keefe rounds out your top ten, who started in 1880. I was not familiar with him at all. And he's a guy who had 68 starts once in a year. <laughs> So that's, again, where pitch wins is also a limiting thing. Or I like John Clarkson at 12. He only played for 12 seasons, but he had uh, two seasons with 70 starts, 70-plus starts. Uh, I mean, that gives you an advantage when you can win 53 and 49 games in a year, right? That's that's quite the heads up. I mean, his, his 11 played for 12 seasons, and this is why diatribe here, pitching wins are kind of stupid as well. This is a guy who essentially only played from 1885 as an everyday starter to 1893. But because he started 70, 55, 60, 54, and 73 wins, uh, he's 12 all-time. Uh, it's, it's just fun stuff to look at. It's fun to go back and talk about the historical uh, significance of this stuff. And it is also just, like I said, it's interesting to think about Bob Feller in that regard. Like, I don't know if I would have ever sat back if I hadn't dug into the numbers and been like, oh, wow, if not... There's a lot of players you could do that for. Let's be honest. There's a lot, a lot of players we could talk about um, as I go further down that. Oh, did I leave the, I think I left the win list, you know, looking at some of the, uh, some like Bob Gibson and thinking, oh, I wonder if he had gotten there a little bit earlier. He did debut at age 23 uh, for 13 games. But remember by age 23, Bob Feller had already been in the majors for multiple seasons. He debuted at age 17. Uh, Gibson was, I believe, already pitching before that. So you give him, you know, four more years. What does Bob Gibson get to with his win totals? Because uh, he ended up with 251. But uh, there's a lot of players. You can make a lot of reasons, especially relating to this. But I, I thought it was a fun little thing. Let me know. More history, less history. Uh, what do you think about uh, Bob Feller? Did I make a case, a stronger case than you've heard for why he should be considered one of the uh, – the top pitchers of all time. I mean, I'm sure most Cleveland fans already thought that, but to make a legitimate case for why, if you're making an all-time MLB rotation, he at least has to enter into that discussion. Time for a quick sponsor break. Let's go and check out and see what Bet Online thinks about tomorrow's Indians game. Let's sign if the, see if they agree with me, disagree with the lines over there in terms of uh, the Indians-Rangers matchup. Remember, when you do go to Bet Online. You want to use that promo code locked on to get a 50 percent bonus on your first deposit. It's free money. Why wouldn't you use it? Go to Bet Online for yourself. Check it out. Anything you can imagine, you'll find there, except for the Indian sign for tomorrow. That unfortunately is not currently listed, 
but just about anything else. You can go through and have game props, player props, futures, other sports, what falls under other sports, Aussie rules, cricket, auto racing, darts, entertainment, cycling, financials, handball, lottery, poker, politics, rugby league, rugby union, snooker, table tennis, wrestling, volleyball, lacrosse. Like I said, if you can imagine it, outside of the Indians uh, line, you can find it over at Bet Online, our official sponsors for all things gambling and gambling related. Go check it out for yourself. Remember that is betonline.ag, promo code locked on. So the Indians, the game that was close ended up not as close uh, as one would think. At the end of this one, it is seven to three. I don't. I mean, I I understand to a degree. I'm not gonna get mad. My only issue with using sh- yes, it's the cat again. Uh, my only issue with using shots has been used so much. But at the same time, it's a close game. You're entering the ninth. You don't want to go to your closer because you don't go to your closer unless you got the lead, which is. I know, it's bad baseball logic, but I'm sure some of that was here. So you go to your setup, man. Shaw has been pitching well of late. Uh, this one, not so much. Uh, he That was really loud in there. I'm going to go check my levels. Yeah, I apologize about that. But he it's, it's bad. He ends up giving him a three-run home run. So the Indians have these ugly uh, three-run homers just as book, not bookmarks, as, uh, why can't I not think of the word now, as, uh, man, that's going to bother me. You know, not the other thing with a book where you'd put them at the end and you put all your books between them. Bookends. Ugly bookends on this game uh, in general. Uh, Three-run homer in the first, three-run homer in the ninth with a one-run in the fifth. It's like literally three, zero, 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 one. It's, uh, it's pleasing to look at in terms of it being a pattern. Unpleasing as an Indians fan. Uh, three stars in this one. Going through well before we get to that, let's just discuss it. Morgan, I already talked about Garza, Whitgren. Whitgren proved me wrong. One and two thirds, two hits, one strikeout. Shaw does go an inning uh, because he goes a third of one, and then in the ninth, he goes two thirds. Parker comes in, gives up a hit, but does get out of it without giving up any more runs. Fifteen hits scattered across the Indians hitters or pitchers. For the Rangers, that's a lot. Uh, the Indian, or the Rangers also had two walks, so they had 17 opportunities. I want to make sure there's no hit batters. Yeah, the Indians only had three walks and six hits. So that's nine opportunities. They had significantly more opportunities over on the Rangers side of things. I mean, Nate Lowe. I sometimes I feel like I will this stuff into existence. You heard from I mean everyone who listened to Monday's show. Go ahead and make fun of me on Twitter tomorrow. Uh, where I'm like, Nate Lowe has been kind of cold in the second half. I was talking about how the Indians should trade for him, but you know, he hasn't been living up to that. And he goes five for five with a three-run home run in the first. I, I know nothing. Uh, that's just the way of it, I guess, sometimes. Uh, he also had a double in this one. Uh, Indian side of things, who reached base twice in this one? Uh, Ahmed and Jose, Yuchen Chang, Daniel Johnson. Uh, basically, I mean, Oscar Mercado also had a hit, but everyone else didn't do anything. Miles Straw had a, uh, just a dynamic defensive play. If you can go catch the video for that, uh, I would recommend it. I'm going to see if I can pull when that happened or see if they have the video up. It's weird. Of all the choices, uh, of videos in this game over at MLB.com, that's not there. It's all the scoring things, but it's none of the, it's not the dynamic catch that uh straw made in this one 
yeah, Straw, 0 for 4, 3 strikeouts. Ramos, 0 for 4. Clement, 0 for 4. Uh, those guys uh, on the... It was either, like I said, it was very condensed who did something. Uh, players of the game, Yu Chen Chang had two hits. One was a home run. That's a star for me. Uh, Daniel Johnson had a hit and a walk. One of those a home run. That's a star for me as well. Uh, those two stand out performance-wise. There were no other extra base hits. Uh, I'm tempted to give Garza the third star, who went one and two-thirds with one hit, one strikeout. Wasn't a lot of great performances. Uh, Garza and Wickren, as did Parker, did their jobs. Sean Morgan did not. The lineup was okay, but you needed a bit more. And it's a loss. You know, It's a loss to a team you probably shouldn't lose to. Hearn, again, it's a lineup. This is no longer the team that's all left-handed bats. This is now a team that should do well against lefties. Hearn's got some good stuff for a lefty, but at the same time, this was not a matchup that uh, struck any fear in me when I looked at matchups because nothing when it involves the Texas Rangers really strikes fear right now. I, that might be mean. I was teasing Bryce of locked on uh, Rangers earlier about some of their problems with draft and development. But yeah, that, it's not a... I mean, if there's any matchup that bothered me, it was Thursday's Henches versus Lyles. Uh, tomorrow's Police Act versus Jake Latz. Uh, it should be an advantage for the Indians in that one. I like when you click on Jake Latz on Fangraphs, his page doesn't even pop up. <laughs> it's like his link is broken. I was like, I'm not super familiar with Latz, and that's why. Uh, he'll be making his Major League debut if that stands up. Uh, former fifth-round pick for the Texas Rangers. He's not... I feel like... Is he the Kent State guy? Yes, that's it. So I am familiar with him. I was like, wait a second, I do know him. Uh, he never actually pitched at Kent State. He was a transfer from LSU who had to sit out that year. Did not pitch once for Kent State. Was drafted in the fifth round. Technically drafted out of Kent State. Never threw a pitch for them. Uh, it was an interesting developmental arm kind of during that peak run when Joey Murray and Eric Lauer and Andy Ravel uh, were drafted out of that program. Uh, that they were consistently turning out arms. Things have kind of changed in terms of recruiting, from what I understand, in the last few years. They did have Luke Albright, who was a, a day-two pick. But yeah, Jake Latz is the lefty from Kent State via LSU, who never pitched for Kent State. So I do know him uh, in the minor leagues throughout. He's been he's been solid. Uh, the upper minors has been a bit more of a struggle. I'm just trying to see if I can get his overall. Uh, he's missed a lot of bats. He's a block guy's at an okay rate, maybe a little bit high. Uh, but he has missed bats in his time in the minors. In AA, for instance, 11.94 this year. Strikeouts per nine, walk of 3.98. It's, it's solid. His FIP, he must give up lots of home He does. Home run rate is pretty high because uh, his FIP is not great in spite of those numbers. He's giving up earned runs, which means his hit rate is probably also not ideal. Uh, those bat pip this year was unlucky, so that also kind of factors into that. Uh, I like Lats. I'm always going to root for Kent State kids because that was my home away from home back when I was in Ohio and scouting. Uh, any other team, other than the Indians, I wish him well this year. It's great he's making his Major League debut. And even if you don't pitch, trust me, being around Mike Birkbeck is helpful to any pitcher. So that is a fun matchup for tomorrow. Paramac guys, Plesak from Ball State versus Lats from Kent State. That is a contentious rivalry. I have been to many a Ball State-Kent State game. And I, I don't think in any sporting event I've ever felt like it was closer to a fist fight than a Kent State-Ball State baseball game.
check out the game tomorrow. Uh, I've been Jeff Ellis. You can follow me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. We had a huge week last week, just barely out of the top 100. Download daily. Tell a friend. Download uh, across multiple things. And I also wanted to thank Peter S. I was on Amazon, and I was curious. Like, oh, you can do podcasts on my Audible app now. I noticed that, uh, I want to say it was Peter S. gave me a five-star review, the only review on the Audible app. So thank you, Peter. Appreciate that. Uh, if anyone else wants to leave a review or download via Audible, hey, it all comes together to help our numbers in any way. Let's get in that top 100. We can do it. Uh, nice movement last week, and I want to thank the fans for that. I have been Jeff Ellis. For the next year, go Tribe. After that, go, go Guardians.